If you think about 1 Corinthians 13, we call that the love chapter. Psalm 23 is the shepherd psalm. And, well, Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of faith, oftentimes is called. You might consider Romans chapter 5 as the through Christ chapter. You might know it for its, well, the five much mores of Romans chapter 5. Well, also, there are a number of times, at least ten blessings that I have found in Romans 5 that are promised to us, assured to us, offered to us through Christ. So in my own mind, I consider Romans chapter 5 the through Christ chapter. Uh, That might be a study for us sometime in the near future, but for tonight I'm just going to look at one of them. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, one verse, it provides a, a single much more and one of those through Jesus Christ offerings there. And it says, Therefore, if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And that's where we'll pause and we'll bow our heads once again and ask the Lord to bless this lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, we praise you this evening for your goodness to us, Father. We praise you for the offerings, uh, the blessings that you offer to your people, Father, that we might receive those things through the purchase that Jesus made for us with his life, with his blood, with his own offering. Father, these things that are ours, if we'll just lay hold of them by your grace and his sacrifice. Help us to understand these things, certainly to appreciate these things, Father, and to live with that gratitude in our lives daily. Bless this word to our hearts tonight, Father. Grow us in it, I pray, and help us to take joy in what you've prepared for us. We give you the glory tonight, and we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I know what our culture's viewpoint of reigning is, of, of royalty, and well, I don't know. I, I hesitate to use some of the pop culture terms and buzzwords and that sort of thing, but I mean, some years ago was the first time I heard someone say, Go Queen, or... <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I, man, I am getting old. You know, there's a time, there just comes a time when, you know, you get to a certain age and you say something that's current or modern and you just can't make it sound cool. And I'm past that age. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. You know the term that I'm talking about. And here people, you know, oh, you go to pump somebody up, you know, you say, go queen or at a boy king or something like that. Back when I was younger and still cool, when I my first job on the fire department, there was a guy I worked with. <laughs> And, you know, he'd dare me to do something daring or, you know, something adventuresome on a ladder or something like that. And when I would do it, he's like, you're the king. You know, he'd tell me that all the time. So, you know, 20 years old, I wanted to hear this dude who I respected greatly tell me I was the king. By golly, I would do some stupid things uh, so that I would hear that sort of thing. Because, yeah, man, it makes you feel good. You know, there's a connotation to royalty, and there's a connotation to being a king or a queen, as it were, whatever it might be, but that term kind of gets tossed around a lot these days, queen and king, and you'll see eh, just different people just kind of use it rather loosely. Uh, not too many people out there who are called queen or king these days are actually called so because of their position of authority or that they are actually a monarch. But even those ones that we're familiar with that I mentioned from time to time, Uh, Well, poor Queen Elizabeth, poor nothing. She was very wealthy at the time of her passing, but Queen Elizabeth has been gone for a little while now. King Charles is now in place. Perhaps the most 
commonly thought of monarch to us uh, in this country, even those ones who are actually have the title, wear the crown and all of those sorts of things, there's not really a whole lot of authority there, is there? I mean, Parliament does a lot more. The Prime Minister, you could argue, has a lot more power and a lot more heft. They're figureheads, certainly. They don't actually rule. Uh, at least, well, at least those ones don't. There might be some kings in some smaller countries here and there that actually rule, or queens, whoever the monarch might be. But there's no explaining away the verbiage in our passage here. Romans 5.17 in that second half, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. There's a reigning and a rule to be had in our life. Now listen, the, great, the greatest reigning and ruling that we're going to do in all honesty, as you study out the word and you see what the Lord has promised for us, I kind of call it a deferred reign. Uh, well, in the old days, I had a deferred comp. Some of you might have deferred compensation. You understand what that is. It's laying aside money so that at a later time, that compensation has been deferred for that time to be paid out uh, in the future. There's a deferred reign that's going to take place for God's people. Different respective people are going to reign in different places, in different locations, you might say, in different statures, in different statuses, in, well, in heaven, here on earth, in the age to come. Uh, there is a deferred reigning that is waiting for us at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11. This is a faithful saying, Paul says to Timothy, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, that means in this life, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Those who take their place in the bride of Christ, no question. Those who take their place in the bride of Christ are going to have the highest place that we might have. It's what we're pursuing. And the bride of Christ... You know, uh, Dad used to tell a story. I don't know where he picked it up, but well, there was some. I don't want to be sexist. I don't want to sound like I'm chauvinist or anything. This is what happened back in the day when there was still a military wife kind of thing going on in the day when there weren't women in the military to the measure that there are today, and it was what it was. But evidently, there was a colonel who oversaw a number of people in this camp, and there was some going back and forth between the wives of the military folks. And so they sat down. He says, I want, I want to have a meeting with all of the wives. And so here they came. And he says, everyone sit according to rank. His wife sat at the head of the table, and everyone lined up. I don't know all the ranks. Captains, lieutenants, I don't know, corporals, privates, all of those. They all lined up according to rank, and the least one was at the end. And he says, this is garbage. You don't hold any rank, he said to his wife. You don't hold any rank. She doesn't hold any rank. You aren't in the military. Now, again, you could apply that to today's date. You know, if there's a woman in the military, her husband, whatever the situation might be, you're not in the military. You don't hold a rank. It is me. Listen, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I will never be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he promises me joint heirship with him, if it be so that I suffer with him. There is a joint co co-reigning with him you're in the throne and amidst the throne there with him in that place it does not mean that i am his equal it does not mean that the bride will be his equal i say i in the hope that i will be there it doesn't mean that you're his equal but he offers a joint airship there is an elevated airship and an elevated authority for those ones who will take that place with him if we endure we shall also reign with him 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul goes on to tell those Corinthians there. He talks about, well, an authority that we can't fully understand right now. I don't think it's fully laid out myself as I read it and as I study it out elsewhere in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? He was checking them, certainly. He was chastising them because, well... They weren't taking care of their business in a godly manner with one another. Do you know, he goes on, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Listen, I don't know what all that involves. I have some ideas. I mean, I have some suppositions and I have a number of different things that I could go to to help me perhaps understand that. But I don't fully comprehend the authority that's going to be there to judge an angel. But he promises that to be so. There's an authority that's going to be given to God's people in the ages to come. You can read about it in Revelation. You can read about it in Daniel. You can read about, well, these sorts of things in other prophetic books. It's about the, well, it's about the things that pertain to this life that we're looking at in our text tonight. When it says, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I'm talking about life today. Do we reign in our life today? And I believe that absolutely we will reign in eternal life yet to come. But there's a portion of that eternal life that's taking place right now. I accepted Lord Jesus. Eternal life started and it's going to go on into eternity. I'm there right now. And there's a measure of reigning that takes place even in this life. Well, how? How does that take place? Well, we know that we're kings and priests to God, don't we? That we have been made kings and priests to him. Romans 5 talks about how to best reign in that life, and specifically here in that 17th verse. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. I've seen a billion self-help books, (laughs) lots of them. I get advertisements for them. It seems it's on the daily that I get emails that say, here, you know... (laughs) Here's another self-help book. Here's another boost you up kind of book. And that's exactly what they do. And oftentimes they say just that type of stuff. Some derivation of be the king of your life. Be be the queen. Open up and and pull out the queen that you have inside. Different, you know, whoever it's addressing itself to. Find, dig down deep and pull out that king and let him take control and reign in this life. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, essentially. There's a certain measure of value to that. Don't get me wrong. I 100% agree that that there's precious little bootstrapping just now amongst people overall. I, I believe that. I believe that oftentimes... God's people included, myself included. Sometimes we look for a handout when we should do for ourselves. When we should do all things as unto the Lord, certainly. But we look for the easier way when it's not necessarily what God would have us to do, certainly. But, man, when it says dig in and find the king of your life and let him run things, I think that's dangerous, child of God. That is, that's really treading on some things because it brings the focus, obviously, I mean, when you get down to the, to the distilled issue with that or potential issue with it, it's bringing the focus off the king to identify the king. Okay, I'm no king as far as capital K. <laughs> backwards, capital K for you guys. It's back, it needs to be backwards to me. Capital K, that's not me. I'm no king. Uh, the vast majority of those books are looking to well, pump up the ego, I would say. They give you mantras to, to repeat and tell yourself. 
uh, to encourage yourself and, and boost you up. You're awesome. You're unique. I've heard people say these things in all seriousness. You're unique. You're awesome. You're powerful. You're this. You're that. Man, if that, if that works for you and that's what the Lord has for you to do, I'm not going to say absolutely that's just foolish. But I just feel so much more profit might come if you look to the Lord and you say, you're awesome. You are so good to me. You are the king. Lord, bring out of me who I need to be for this moment, for this circumstance, for this purpose, for this issue, whatever the case might be. Uh, He is the awesome one. He is the unique one. And you don't need a mantra. I don't believe that you do. You have the assurance of Scripture here. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I don't think there's anything more encouraging, more pumping up than a passage such as this. I believe that the promise of strength and patience and wisdom and guidance and direction through the Spirit, through the fullness of the Spirit, through the leading of the Spirit, through the power of the Word, I think that's about as encouraging as it can possibly be. That's what He promises. And too often we look to ourselves as the source and the flow for the greatness that we're calling upon in the moment. You know, the summer, Emmy discovered dandelions in my... No, no, I'm going to amend this. She didn't discover dandelions in my yard. I don't have dandelions. I don't have many dandelions in my yard. You know, we pay good money so some teenager can come out and push a little thing and scatter little pellets so those little yellow flowers don't pop up in the yard. So, you know, what she does is she goes into the neighbor's yard and she pulls the little fluff ball thing and she brings them over to Poppy over in uh, my yard and she says, look, and she blows the dandelions all over over my yard. Uh, You know, when she did that, She thought she was impressing me. You know, she did. She said, look, or whoop, and she goes, poof, and she blows it. And then, of course, she wants to run and get another. I'm like, no, don't don't go pick the neighbor's flowers, you know. And she's like, it's good. And so she picks up two or three, and she comes back, and she blows those things and all that. You know, again, she thought she was impressing me. She certainly was impressing herself with what she was doing there. There are remarkable people doing remarkable things and impressive things in the world. Fantastic, brilliant people building telescopes that go out into space uh, who, who can talk about quantum equations and quantum mechanics that confuse me after two sentences, that understand physics and, and relativity and all of these things that I don't comprehend. There are people that build buildings and, and, and do art with their hands and with their mind. They see things in ways that I cannot. They are remarkable people in ways that I have no remarkability at all. And you know that all that it is when you step before the Lord, it's dandelion fluff is all that it is. I promise you, I promise you when we stand before Jesus, we're not going to be comparing pay stubs. We're not going to be comparing promotion histories. We're not going to be comparing congregation sizes, me and the other pastors that are there. We're not going to be comparing bank accounts, IQs, SAT scores. We're not going to compare any of those things because those things aren't eternal. They're dandelion fluff when you stand before the Lord Jesus. Look what I did. Impressive. Not really. Not really. Now again, I'll qualify that and say that as the Lord guides you and as the Lord leads you and directs you to do such things, do it. 
By all means, do it as unto him. But if you are finding your impression, your impressiveness in yourself, if if it is drawing your focus to those things from him, if you're finding strength in and of yourself and encouragement based on the things that you have done and can do, well, you're not fully recognizing the abundance of the grace. And the gift of righteousness is coming from his hand. And it can be problematic for us as it distracts us from looking at him. When we sow into the world and the things that impress the world and impress our own flesh, it can be unhealthy. Uh, Well, and a measure of our reigning is surrendered when we do that. Romans 6 and verse 12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. It sounds like that's just all kinds of foul and gross and nefarious and all of that sort of thing. Sometimes the sin that reigns in our mortal body is just the pride, the arrogance, the self-sufficiency, the self-worth, the the self-self-self-self that distracts from the Lord and has us focusing on ourselves to take care of things for ourselves. I'm telling you, nothing, well, nothing should gather our attention from Him. And it might be just something as simple as a distraction. I've got this. I've got this. And we perhaps, when we encounter something, we say, I've got this. We don't stop and pause and take it from the Lord and say, Lord, I think I've got this. What do you have for me to do in this situation? Sometimes we don't have, well, sometimes it takes a lesson like this to remind us to look at something like that. Sometimes we don't want to do that because we're fully aware that that's what we're capable of. Man, I've put up boxes around myself before. I've put up, I've I've closeted some things off and put them aside and said, Lord, don't touch this. (laughs) Maybe not in so many words, but in so many words. That's what I've said. I want to, Put this away. I know this is an issue perhaps, but let's just be hands off with that for the time being. Uh, I was in a fire one time and there was a basement fire and I was in this house and we put it out and we were overhauling this fire looking for extension, you know, in the walls or something like that. So I'm working around here and I'm and pulling down walls and ceilings and stuff and I'm like, bang, bang, bang on this wall. I'm like, well, that shouldn't be hollow like that. And it was a false wall that was there. And so I went, whack, whack, and I start pulling it back, and it was a false wall, and over here there's a false wall, and everything looked completely like it shouldn't have been there. It was completely tucked away, completely walled in, completely shelved in, and there's this little secret entrance that went inside of it. And it was just as nefarious inside of that as you might expect it to have been. We had police there later on, and... Well, there were some arrests made and some things confiscated and all that sort of thing. When people tend to hide things behind false walls, hidden walls, and disguise it as though it's not something to be seen, it's bad, right? It tends to hide things that they don't want to be seen by the general public and perhaps not even those people that are in their own homes. Holding on to something that we know is distracting us. Holding on to something that we know we're giving too much focus to, perhaps. Whatever it might be. Whatever self-sufficiency we might have. Or whatever self-worth we might be holding on to unhealthily. Holding on to something that is all my doing and, and all in my power. And outside of my presenting it to the Lord, it's not going to serve me well. It's not going to help me to reign as the Lord would have me do in this life. No matter how awesome it might appear. No matter how awesome I might appear as a result of it. Maybe I'm not hiding it. Maybe it's out for everyone to see, but I have just so depended on that 
capability or that way that I have or that talent that I have or whatever it might be that I've trusted in that instead of him. I don't give credit where credit is due, perhaps. It's going to hinder me in reigning in this life and receiving of the abundance that the Lord is trying to give me because I'm satisfied with what I have. First Chronicles gives us a little bit of history. I'll bring that out just as an example here. First Chronicles chapter, uh, chapter 12. Turning back there, for some reason, man, I've been bringing up David and, and well, maybe it stems from our men's group because we've been considering mighty men a lot these days. But keep going back to David and his time when he was a fugitive, you might say, from Saul. This gives a history of some of those ones who supported him while he was a fugitive there. They were mighty men. They were capable in themselves. Accomplished in battle. Accomplished in ability. And I look at this situation, and while David was still a fugitive, you know, David hadn't taken the throne yet. And from the outside looking in, I'm confident that people would have looked and said, well, Saul had the upper hand here. Saul had the upper hand on a natural level. Because he owned the throne, he was the incumbent. He had to be bumped off by David if David was going to do that. And David had proven he wasn't going to kill him. David is out being chased. He's not coming out after him. Saul's on the offensive. He has the nation already. He has the numbers. David's out there sleeping in caves and whatnot. Meanwhile, Saul's in, well, in the palace if he chooses to be. And he can be anywhere else he wants to be with people surrounded and all of those sorts of things. He had, well, he had the upper hand, it seems. But David was indeed the Lord's anointed. And some of these ones recognized that and they aligned themselves with him instead. That's the right thing to do. First Chronicles 12 verse 16. Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. Understand Saul was a Benjamite. So these ones were well, leaving that loyalty. And David went out to meet them and answered and said to them, If you have come peaceably to me to help me. My heart will be united with you, but if to betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. If you're looking for your own agenda here, is what David was saying. If you're going to promote yourself here, if you're looking to go against my place and who I, I know who I am in the Lord, I know what he has for me. If you're looking to come here and to try to upset that for your own glory, for your own, again, agenda, well, I trust God that you'll be unsuccessful in that. He says, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. He understood what God had for him. And he was like, listen, if you're opposing me in this, well, I'm trusting the Lord to do a work here. Now, David didn't have to worry about it because as you look in the next verse there, in verse 18, the Spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains and he said we are yours O David <laughs> insert Jesus's name here okay we're yours Jesus we are on your side O son of Jesse peace peace to you and peace to your helpers for your God helps you what did those men do well they didn't come making demands they didn't come to promote themselves they didn't come to look to impress they didn't come to barter for a position based on their own credentials and their own worth and their own value and look what I've done look what I've done look what I've done you know take care of me here I need a place of authority because of no they said we know who you are we appreciate who you are we value who you are despite and it doesn't matter who we are our lineage our capabilities you're the king and we are on your side. Your God helps 
you. They didn't want to serve the king who was in place in Israel, who was the natural authority. God had anointed him. There's no question. That it was the place that he had for that time. But the Lord was removing that from him. And David was the one. They weren't interested in Saul, the king of Israel. Just as we shouldn't be interested in the natural king. We shouldn't be interested in the God of this world. In the authorities that are here. Looking to them to take care of us. And that means ourselves as well. Our own flesh's natural authority. Our own flesh's natural desires. Our own flesh's natural capabilities. We can't depend on it. We shouldn't depend on that. The Lord Jesus is the one true king. Anointed by God. And the spirit came upon Amasai. And he submitted to him. And the mighty men with him. We trust you. We give ourselves to you. So what did the king do for them? It says, so David received them and made them captains of the truth. Right? He lifted them up. He gave them authority. He helped them, well, put them in places of influence. Things that they could do. They were empowered by the king that they trusted by the leading of the spirit. The saints, I trust you want to be empowered and you want to be encouraged to reign in your life. To... Have a measure of authority. I'm not saying that we sit and we put, we go and we find the devil. Where are you, devil? You know, and stand there and put our foot up. That's not, that's, not, that's not what the word calls us to do. This flesh is always upon us. We, we have these old creations still with us. We're not just going to, look to slap the devil in the face and try to pick a fight and all of those things because, by golly, I'm a child of God and you can't, I, I defy you. No, no man. Even the angels weren't called to do that against Satan. But there's a certain measure of reigning that we need to do in our lives. A certain measure of authority. Well, you know, we need to, well, not dig in and find the king that is somewhere inside there. But we need to trust the Lord Jesus that he would help us to be the king and priest that he intends for us to be. I watch a lot of Shark Tank. I've mentioned, mentioned it from the pulpit when I'm cooking something. Sitting down to lunch or something, sometimes I'll put it on my phone and set it over there. It's guiltless. I don't have any problems with it, typically. Uh, I watch a lot of Shark Tank, you know, where these people, these entrepreneurs come in and they say, this is my company or this is my business, and you know what? For $500,000, i will give you 5% stake, you know, in my country. I valued it at $25 million, even though all it is is a hairbrush with, you know, whatever the case might be. And then oftentimes, you know, Cuban will sit there and he'll say to them, listen... Listen, uh, I'll give you 500000 for 50% of it. And they're like, no, that's way too much equity. Giving away way too much of the authority that I have in my business. Giving away way too much. And he always says to them, listen, 50% of a watermelon is much, much greater than 100% of a kiwi fruit, or whatever the case might be. And you're like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Because you know? he's going to take this, he's going to blow it up, and he's going to make us all multimillionaires. You know, you take your stuff and... and Invested in the Lord and say, Lord, I, I don't need control. I don't need 100% equity. I hand it all over to you because whatever you do to blow up this life of mine is going to be, even if it was 1% of everything that you're going to make out of me when I'm in eternity with you, 1% of what you can make out of me is better than 100% of what I will do of my own authority. My own royalty. The king that is within if I pull him out and pull myself up by the bootstraps and make my life what I think that it could be. That kiwi fruit would be rotten, (laughs) shriveled up, 
brown and nasty. It just is what it is. We submit to the king. We submit 100% equity to our business, to the king of kings. And he will not let you fail. He will not let you wither. He will not let you rot. He will not let you be fruitless. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. I'm going to start wrapping up and we're going to be early tonight. He won't let you fail. Romans 8 verse 31. Paul reiterates this and he says, What then shall we say to these things? A long passage, familiar passage, and a beloved passage in my mind. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, a place of power, a place of authority, who also makes intercession for us to the one being that he submits to, his Father. He makes intercession. Power over everything else and everyone else. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors, or prevailers, or victors, through Him, through through the Lord Jesus, who loved us. You know, they say to the victor, go the spoils. To the conquerors, is given to reign. The Lord has overcome the world for us. And we have faith in the Lord Jesus who has overcome for us. We have a measure of authority. It's called will in our life. I have the authority to reign in this life by handing it over 100% to the Lord Jesus. We've been given the authority and the means to exercise that authority by giving it, dedicating it to the glory of God. If by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace... And of the gift of righteousness, those will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, we can be submissive conquerors. Like those ones who came to David, the king. We know who we are. We have natural talents. You're the king. You're the boss. You're the smart one. You're the one in charge. We give ourselves entirely over to you. Conquerors submitting to the king. And the king elevated them. We can be submissive conquerors and we can reign in this life through the provision and kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's do so, child of God. Don't depend on yourself. Be grateful for the talents that He has given you. Be grateful for the blessings that He has abounded in your life, naturally speaking even. Don't depend on them. Don't trust in them to be what moves you, what validates you, what gives you credibility or capability. Always, always, always be submissive to the Lord and you will be that conqueror and reign in your life as He desires for you to do.